0: Next Chapter Podcasts. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or.
1: man, you're a naked man I'm naked while I record this Everybody get naked naked now Randy Newman is the naked Naked Man Naked Man, Naked Man, Naked Man By Randy Newman Yep, from his 1974 album Good Old Boys It's also number 394 out of 500 On the 500 with me the King Cadougal Josh Adam Myers here As we go down I can't even say I don't know if I can say it anymore We As we go down The old Rolling Stone magazine list Of the 500 greatest albums Written by old white men But thank you guys Fleece Army What's up man I hope the uh, The Coup in the white house isn't bringing you down i am obsessed with it right now i don't know if it's healthy or not but you know some hair's falling out my dog took up smoking like a dog is uh, is about a pack a day right now i want to thank everybody that that watched the goddamn comedy jam on my 41st birthday man what an incredible show guys I can't stress this enough. If you have yet to watch the goddamn Comedy Jam live, then this is your chance to do it. We're doing it at this incredible place called The In Crowd, and man, you are involved. My buddy, Steve! from Scotland, was watching. He stayed up until five in the morning so he could tune in. He had a great time. Crazy Evan, who runs our Facebook. Everybody, guys, it's so much fun. Be there. We're going to announce the next lineup for December very, very soon. And I'll have a great lineup for you. And I just want you guys to be there. I really do. Also, if you could do something for my birthday, and I mean this, Fleece Army, this is what I want for my birthday. I want everybody, if you listen to this, to go on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and leave a review. Guys, that's what I want for my birthday. Not money, not donations to charity, which you, you should do that too. But just give us that five-star rating and leave a review then take a screenshot and send it to me on Instagram and I will do something I haven't decided what it is but it's gonna be dope also guys submit your podcast theme for the 500 where we want you to write our theme song and the grand prize winner gets a one year subscription to the 500 Club, which is our Patreon, where you get new merch, you get the new podcast that I'm starting. I'm going to be doing it a couple days a week with Today in Music. It's going to be great. We used to do it on the podcast. I'm going to be doing it. We got some really cool shows coming up, and you get to support the 500, and you get to vote on the theme song. So send your submissions to 500podcasts at gmail.com. Some of the ones that we're getting in are incredible. And join the Patreon. All right, so Randy Newman is a very interesting character to me because I only looked at this guy as someone that wrote original music for Disney movies. So you can imagine how surprised I was when I heard rednecks, which we're going to talk about released on September 10th, 1974 on reprise records and produced by Lenny waronker and Russ Titelman. This is the fourth album by American singer songwriter, Randy Newman. Randy was born in Los Angeles in 1943, but his family moved to New Orleans shortly thereafter before he returned when he was 11. As the nephew of three prominent Hollywood film composers, he became a musician at a young age and a songwriter by 17 after being obsessively influenced by Ray Charles. After dropping out of UCLA one semester before earning a BA in music, he decided to go pro. And by 1962, while he was composing background scores for TV shows, he put out a single that flopped he decided to concentrate on writing for other vocalists including pop songs from movies by the mid-60s after some successful hits for other artists mostly in the uk childhood friend and future co-producer of this record lenny waronker hired randy as well as singer-songwriter leon russell and van dyke parks great name to play on and arrange recording sessions for bands he was producing as a junior a&r man for warner brothers records as while Ronker moved up the chain of A&R at Warner Brothers Records, he brought his crew with him where he eventually signed Randy to Warner's artist-centric reprise label. Randy's songs were often structured like traditional American standards, but his often caustically humorous lyrics often skewed into a darker psyche. Similar to some of his friends and fellow musicians, Newman's records at the time avoided any real connection to the rock and roll of their contemporaries. They preferred being backed by orchestral musicians. After one critical but not commercially successful album, Randy's follow-ups began to build a following as well as again providing hits for other artists. Some songs from those first few albums that later blew up were Mama Told Me Not To Come, I Think It's Gonna Rain Today, and You Can Leave Your Hat On. By the time he was ready to record this album, he was a critical darling and an established cult artist. Fans really took to Newman's literature, sly, sardonic, and often polarizing character studies and themes, and musically, his songs started drifting into a rootsier, country-tinged Americana. Now, Randy had touched upon America's complicated history with race relations before. Sail Away was a tantalizing recruitment to slaves to come to the mythical and fantastic place called America. That came out in 1972. But good old boys is gonna go even further. Crazy shit is that Sail Away was later covered by whose hero? Randy's hero, Ray Charles. Now, originally, Randy was gonna make this concept album a musical about a bigoted everyman steelworker from the deep south named Johnny Cutler. And he recorded demos under the title Johnny Cutler's Birthday in early '73. However, he eventually broadened the scope to include other disenfranchised characters. The subject matter included racism, poverty, southern pride, northern hypocrisy, mental illness, and drinking, as well as historical and political themes and events. It was a critical and popular success going to number 36 on the Billboard chart and staying there for 21 weeks. After that commercial breakthrough, Randy followed up a few years later with some popular songs like Short People and 1983's I Love L.A. He then turned primarily back to soundtrack scoring, where he became wildly popular. I mean, that's where we know him from. To date, he's released 11 albums, written scores and songs for 29 movies, including nine Disney Pixar movies, some of them being Toy Story and Monsters, Inc. You got a friend in me. He's won two Academy Awards, seven Grammy Awards, three Primetime Emmys, a Partridge, a Pear Tree. He got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2013 and the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2002. And he is a star on Hollywood Boulevard. Now, my guest today is a dude that I never would have thought was a huge, huge Randy Newman fan. My guest is Jordan Temple. Jordan's an incredible comic We both did Bill Burr Presents in January He's a writer for Atlanta And a writer for the Emmy Award winning series The Marvelous Miss Maisel He is hilarious And I was told by multiple, multiple people To book this dude And we got to talk about Randy Newman a little bit When we both recorded the Bill Burr Presents Great, great conversation And I couldn't have thought of a better guest than Jordan Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500 podcastgmailcom at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to our website, the 500 podcastcom Well, hey, Randy, do you want to introduce it? Here we go with number 394 out of 500 with good old boys by me, Randy Newman. So it still makes me laugh, Jordan, because it was maybe like, fuck, like a year ago, I was talking to Mike Lawrence. The great, the late great. I want to say late because at any moment his diet will kill him. But <laughs> but God's honest truth. He goes, he looks at the list and he goes, dude, I see you got some Randy Newman albums coming up on here. You need to go for Jordan Temple. And I was like, what? I was like, dude, he fucking loves Randy Newman. Loves. So you didn't pitch me on this. Mike Lawrence did. And then we talked when we did the Bill Burr Presents, and I mentioned it to you, or maybe it was before or after that, whatever. And and then you verified that. So tell me how a, a black dude from Queens becomes a diehard Randy Newman fan. Take me on that journey.
2: My journey with Randy Newman, where did I start? I want to say, was it oh eight oh nine? was that record he had out? His last, last record harps and angels i you know i was in a period of of my life where like i was in my early 20s i was in community college just like exploring t- like putting every practical weird thing seemingly things that don't connect every genre of music like i had maybe five songs each just to test myself and just to expand my mind and so i just looked up everything that was a release at that time whether it was like, I don't know, fucking good Charlotte or like Papa Roach, a new uh, Nas album.
1: <laughs> yeah. And everything. everything with yeah, the whole I cornucopia of music. I get it.
2: Yeah. I wanted to just expand my mind of things of, you know, I always like had like weird different tastes, whatever. But like, I saw that Randy Newman had like a new album out, Harps and Angels. And I played it. I put it on my, my iPod shuffle. Shout out. Oh, R.I.P. Actually, R.I.P. Uh, R- I, I, oh. the chef. Yeah, I, oh, it was so good. You could just you know drag and dra- drop. I I paid for it. No, I didn't. I mean, you can't you can't get me now,
3: Napster.
1: Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> lime wire, love some of that lime wire. LimeWire, wire,
2: shout out. No, but I I put that album on my phone, and I was captivated by Korean parents. I just listened to it and it was just so wrong. He has this song, he's just like, uh, (laughs) it starts out very, very innocent. And he's just like painting an image of uh, American kids not doing well in school. And then it turns and there's like, he's like, um, he's like, kids today got problems that your parents never had. Neighborhood's
4: dangerous. Public schools are
2: bad. <laughs> it's like, Korean parents for sale. And that's when I fell in love. I was like, I'm hoping this man gets it. Yeah. It's satire. It's like, it's playful. It just, I saw a review of uh, Good Old Boys, the album we're going to get into. The description is basically like, it borders on some of his songs, borders on like infantile and magical. It's like, that's the pocket he lives in. And that's what I like to explore because I know like I can be very silly, childish, like Dark I And the energy that he just enlivens in me is just something that I need, you know, whether that be on his second album. I forget the one with the Kiss makeup. Uh, Born born Rich? No, Born...
1: You know more about him than I do. I'm gonna tell you that right now. I'll tell you about good old boys, but... But, yeah, no, he has
2: this song called Pants. I made a fucking... And he's just, just like, making, like, a hardcore rock ballad, but he's basically, like, yelling about taking off his pants. You know? And it's, like, shit like that. It just tickles the fucking mind. It's just too weird. He's too weird to be pop, but he's also, like... And, and, and easily to ignore, like, very, like, nebbish and, like, weird and something that he cops to and is part of his charm. And I'm sure a lot of people have wanted him to go away or wondered why in the hell they ever heard short people. But then he made Toy Story, and it's just like, you, you just can't ignore him.
1: Like, I... Com- completely. Completely. I mean, I, and you know what's funny? That I ignored him. I've ignored him for years. Yeah. And now I know <laughs> that Randy Newman is God. It goes, it goes Morrissey, Brian Ferry, Randy Newman, Miles Davis. Randy is above Miles. Um, so what? So you hear the, that album that you download and then do you just start digging everything? You just want to like, all I want to do is listen to Randy and you start going through all the rest of the records? A
2: bit. I feel like I was chewing on that one for a little bit, but then, you know, I went back every now and then up until like. Maybe twenty, fifteen, sixteen, and I was just listening to you know I was listening to the the, the catalog or this like you know the songs he did for the natural. I, I like his composition too, which is really nice. Um, you know, he comes from a family of like composers. His uncles were you know that combined with him going to visit family in Louisiana like every summer really paved the road for. the the very outsider kind of perspective he had, but with insight for people in the South, like there's empathy there in ways that a lot of people, you know, who don't live in the South, they just oversimplify the people. And he didn't have that, even though you would think that the characters he was describing or the, you know, especially in Rednecks is basically him, you know, he's like, uh, Last night I saw Lester Maddox on a TV show. Some smart ass New York Jew. Like a lot of people would describe him as that, but you know, California Jew. But you know, like, but he under he he holds the mirror. Like he still know he knows who he is while making fun of people. Like some people will mock people and not be able to see their own hypocrisy, you know? But I think that he he can. And that's that's what makes him That's what sets him apart. And it also helps that he sometimes feels like intentionally has a shitty voice (laughs) because it's like it's not about hitting the notes. It's about the feeling that it embodies. If a better voice sang short people, it would be much harder to get upset. But it's supposed to make you uncomfortable because it is not a typical like prejudice that people have. And that's what he's doing. He's making he's making a mockery of prejudice itself by saying, "Yeah, you're getting upset if you're short, but here's a, you know something that you know a short black person. It, the common thing is that they're black, not that they're short. And that's the ridiculousness of the prejudice because you know it's it's ridiculous to you know kind of categorize some, a person just based on one thing." Whatever it is, and uh, I actually played that for a short girl.
1: What was that? She, short people? Yeah, she was. She
2: was kind of upset. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: like, oh, no, sorry, let's turn this off. Let's put something else on. Let's put some, it, let's put some Casey was and JoJo on. Yeah. No, I well, so all right, so tell me about this record. What's your experience with this? And what what are your feelings the first time you hear this? Because because you got this this like you said this old white New York Jew, well, really raised in New Orleans. Um, well, L.A. Jew, really. Um, but, but he's, this is an album that, I mean, the, the subject matter, he's talking about racism, he's talking about poverty, Southern pride, Northern hypocrisy, mental illness, drinking, as well as, like, historical and, and political themes. So, I mean, so, so you've dug the other shit, now you hear this one for the first time, and what's your first reaction?
2: I think my first reaction was, uh, relief. I think when I heard rednecks, it was such a relief having grown up in New York, there's so many white liberals that like to pat themselves on the back and make it seem as if, you know, that, uh, they have some moral high ground over Southern whites. And it's like, you are, you are different, uh, and the same, you know, just regionally, you are in a different place, but racism takes on a different place when people are not like sanctioned to segregate the schools. Like they were segregating schools in the South because it was the law at one point. But in the North, they were like, we're not gonna make it a law because, you know, we're better than that. We're not the South. We don't need laws to segregate the school. And so people were just waiting on white liberals to take the mantle and it never really happened. It stayed segregated, and it still is segregated and that is something as part of the hypocrisy that Rednecks points out. you know he's you know i and i I think that his his upbringing made it perfect for that because he got to learn and love people from the south, and then he got to go back to California, where he probably there was some embedded in the culture some idea or kinship with Californians and, and outsiders uh, of being able to shit on the South.
1: Yeah.
0: Chronic migraine is 15 or more headache days a month, each lasting four hours or more. Botox on toxin A prevents headaches in adults with chronic migraine. It's not for adults with migraine with 14 or fewer headache days a month. It prevents on average eight to nine headache days a month versus six to seven for placebo.
1: Myasthenia gravis or Lambert Eaton
0: syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. Ask your doctor and visit BotoxChronicMigraine.com or call 1 800 44 Botox to learn more. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Archaea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico it's and not or see what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in america
1: you know i i have listened to i think this we've probably overdone over 100 records on on uh on this podcast so far and uh I was that guy, like you said, that just breezed over Randy Newman. Ah, he's, I never liked this guy. He's a joke. You know what I mean? The guy, it's a fucking Toy Story guy. And when I saw this coming up, yeah, I was excited to be able to sit down and talk to you about it, especially knowing like your background and Randy's background. I was like, this is going to be interesting. And then the second you put this on... And I and I bet the listeners fucking will 100% agree with me. I, I don't think we've had a record that has been so relevant to what is going on in the world and said in such a truthful yet funny way. I, this is like perfect satire. This is almost as good as satire as as anything that any comedy that has come out. This is this is like Doctor Strange Love in 13 songs or 12 songs. It's it just completely took me by surprise, and especially because you've mentioned it, the first song. So let's let's dive into the record because uh, I mean the only way we can start this is with the song we've been talking about, Rednecks. Uh, Peter, play the chorus. We're Uh, what what was that, Randy? What? <laughs> what did you say? Mm-hmm. What was that, Randy? Did you just? Yeah. Say, oh, you did just say the N word, uh, and you're gonna he say it eight did. more times. <laughs> eight more. I I think the funniest thing about this is uh, this is the same vibe as you got a friend in me from Toy Story, because uh, I could literally see like Andy playing with Woody and Buzz Lightyear. And it's just we're red dicks, we're red dicks, keeping the hum high down. What? What was that? Jesus, Crap, that changed the, That'll change your fucking uh, your recess at school. So I. said so what is it like? What What is You hear this song for the first time. What do you think?
2: Um, a part of me just kind of like just getting around the word, you know, because it's been you know reclaimed. It means something different, but. I haven't heard it in the context, even though it sound you know viscerally wrong if if I were to to be more angry at the word and less at the idea, like I can understand how that would be upsetting but um he's, he says it with such um intention and conviction to who he's presenting the idea to like he's making the case because he's he's also playing as a character, which I don't think is it's not done in today the way people you know, it's not hipster racism today where people use characters to be racist and shit. Like he's this character is actually writing the song. So he says, you know, I went to the park and reflecting on this this white politician who in the South who was on the Dick Cavett show and he was being mocked and he, you know, he's a southerner and he basically wrote the song. He said, I went to the park and took some paper along and that's why I made the song. And so he's presenting this idea of, you know, we're rednecks, like, in a very, like, visceral, like, this is what you think of us kind of thing. Like, this is the only idea to associate with us, but here's the hypocrisy. And then when it turns, you see how like useful that word was because it's like to get your attention and also to make you uncomfortable. It's not just should he or should he not say that. I've heard him say in an interview, he obviously wouldn't perform that song today. It gives different meaning. But people say this, use that word or think that word or treat Black people in that way without any levels of understanding that he's bringing and sensitivity that he's bringing to the song, so it's not to say you know a pass. In some ways, I do think it's wrong, but I can also see how well he used it, how well executed, just the song and what it means.
1: You know, so so do you think that there's ever and like and I guess in this instance, there's ever an okay time for a white person to use the N word? Absolutely not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't. But
2: I'm just saying like people there's definitely no time, but people don't use it in the way he is. Like obviously. Sure. It you know, he has I think he might even have some regrets about the song using yeah, he might, but I think uh I think if people could uh understand that people say nigga to people not in character <laughs> like, and with no understanding or, you know, really any kind of scruples, then, you know, they would be obviously less upset. Well, I don't it's, you
1: see like I, I see like a lot of like TikTok videos and Instagram videos of these like white kids that like hang out with black kids or or even like Mexicans that are that are using that word the same way black people use it to like talk to like they're talking to a friend. They're just it's like in the natural flow of the conversation, which you'd hear amongst like some of my black friends or, or people, you know, you see what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, there's, it's almost gotten to a point now where I, I see people using it and it's just like, I, I, to me, I'm like, wow, it's like, that's a little, that's a little like liberal for, for my taste. I mean, like, how does that make you feel when you see that shit? You're just totally like, man.
2: No, I mean, I definitely hate it. I also hate when people treat me like, like the word the treatment the treatment still is there without the word like this mexican guy tried to start a fight with me in the fucking rite aid yesterday and i looked over in the walk and like in the aisle i walk in the rite aid and there's like a black it's like practically the the like shea moisture it's like black hair products aisle and i needed some shit or i was thinking about some shit anywhere there was soap it was What the fuck I needed, I was in the goddamn Rite Aid. I just look over, glance over, and there's like a Mexican man with two Mexican women. And he just goes, you work here? I'm like, nah. He's like, you look like it. And I was like, bruh. Like he was ready to scrap with me. He was like trying to, he was getting machismo and shit. And it's like, it's not just the white and black people. It's like anti-blackness is everywhere. You know what I mean? So it's not just making this on randy. Like, Mexicans say it, and they hate Black people. And it's and it's deplorable. And every other group, they want to try that POC shit, that shit does not fly. It doesn't mean jack shit, because they're anti-Blackness in, you know, every community, in every non-Black community, but they make it just racism between White people and Black people. So non-Black people have something to learn from this, too. It's not just white is it's not just white and black it's anti-blackness and how the south has been able to ha, has been made the scapegoat for racism period because you know all those other non-black people can sweep it under the rug and try to act like it's just in the south the south gets all of the hate and hardly anybody who is a critic of it is actually from there.
1: Yeah. If you go to, if you go to Huntington beach right now, I bet you getting the same kind of racism that you're going to get in, in fucking Alabama.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right. In Los Feliz. Silver Lake. I was in Los Feliz. It's just like Mexicans hate black people, you know, it's every group does, but you know, you talk to them about it. They're like, Oh no, I'm not racist. Or I have uh black friends or some goofy shit, you know, I'm a fucking Kobe fan. Something dumb shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, or, you know, I don't
1: know. It's just. I I know exactly what you're saying. So, so Randy explained years, uh, 30 years later, he goes, it always bothered me when that word went by, but I needed the word in that song. There was no other way to do it. And I do the song everywhere and people get it. Uh, And like I said, dude, taking away from just that word, but this song is biting satire on the systemic racism of the Deep South as well, like you said, as the smug northern states' unspoken racial segregation. And if everybody's wondering uh, who uh, Lester Maddox is, He was a uh, segregationist restaurant owner who wouldn't serve black customers even after the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And he used that notoriety to get elected the populist Democratic Center from Georgia from 67 to 71.
2: And in the vein he was a populist, there were some reflections of Trump, um, him kind of laying the groundwork in terms of not just being a populist, but voting, but relying on, you know, certain like imagery and, you know, resting his kind of hatred, laying it kind of bare for everyone to be like, oh, okay, yeah, I can like openly hate. It. Yeah, but yeah, he was a restaurant tour.
1: For- Little known fact, I don't know if this is gonna tickle you, but the backup singing on this song, as well as several others are by the Eagles, Don Henley, Glenn Fry, and Bernie Ledden. So you don't know who that is. That's like, those are like white superheroes right there, dude. That's fucking- Randy
2: Newman is the only white man I recognize. All right,
1: I'm, I'm here too,
2: Jordan.
1: All right, <laughs> moving on. Uh, Birmingham. Birmingham tells the story of Johnny, his wife Marie, and their dog Dan, and their deep connection to Birmingham, Alabama, a city Martin Luther King Jr. might have described as sweltering with the heat of oppression, uh, Peter, play low taste.
4: Birmingham.
1: What I enjoy about this song, besides it just being this 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 really beautiful song about Birmingham, it's funny because Johnny is, like, aloof to the fact that Birmingham was the epicenter of the American civil rights movement of the 50s and the 60s. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> right, right. It's, it's so idyllic. He's, like, walking you through, and it's so grand, and you would never think that um, all this terrible shit is going on. You know, it's it's so I think the turning point in the song where it it goes from idyllic and picturesque and kind of almost mundane, right, in his love for it and becomes a little dark is when he is addressing he's like uh you know, addressing his uh dog and he says, Get him, Dan. That's when it was like because you know, dogs were used in, in weaponized ways, you know dogs were used to hunt slaves black people uh and during the civil rights movement bite them and then today uh gentrify neighborhoods you know the dog park is central place in the white or gentrifying neighborhood where white people control the territory so for him to say get them dan it's just white people using dogs again like you don't know who's on the opposite side of the get them Dan, you know? And I think, but
1: you you have an idea because of where it is the time that this came out, you know, especially after the first song, it's like, Oh, you, it's so good. (laughs) Yeah. It's so good because he's painted this story. He's already set the tone. You, you already know the direction he's going. And yet he's presenting this horrible, horrific, Event of somebody being attacked by a dog, you most likely a black dude, and it's, like, underneath this beautiful fucking melody of, like, of, like, lollygain. This sounds like music you, like, fish to, and you're, like, playing catch with your sundew. It doesn't sound like something that's attacking, like, your black neighbor. All right, Marie. Now, this one, this one got me in the feels. Uh, I, I teared up a little bit. Peter, play a little bit. When
4: you're in trouble Time away. But I love you. I loved you the first time I saw you. And I always love you, Marie. I
3: love mm. you. The mm. first
1: yeah, it's, it's just everything about it. Just the, the cadence that he's singing, the pauses, and then the strings uh, are just incredible. Um, the arrangement is next level. Yeah, yeah. You can see that he came from uh, a very musical family and the influences that he has, because this is just fantastic. So this is basically the last song Johnny Cutler explained how his wife's name was Mary, uh, but is also known as Marie. And it's funny... Because Newman seems to be making the statement that southern masculinity hinges on not sharing one's feelings, and that may be why Cutler has to get blacked out, drunk, to tell Marie how in love with her he really is. So, I mean, that's 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 it's a pretty fucking true thing. Uh, thoughts on this song? Because I saw you going apeshit, fucking, and you're like, woo, <laughs> fuck yeah, <laughs> you love it
2: yeah those chords those chords are I mean literally pull your, pull your heart strings no pun intended but yeah it was um, yeah he is drunk and it is like also him describing his life you kind of hear a little bit you know when he says there's pride in when he says I make a living with my hands but you know that the difficulty of that job at a factory drives him to drink, which makes it much harder for him, you know, to probably emote. Cause you you do a job where it's it's painful. You you day in and day out, maybe you can't spend as much time with your wife. So then you drink and then you have all of these emotions piled up on top of drinking. And then that's when you can make a song as beautiful as Marie, sadly,
1: but... What have you done while love drunk? Have you done <laughs> anything crazy?
2: I definitely told women I love them when I was drunk. I mean, I told them I loved them before I was drunk. And then I told them... <laughs> but I like professed, like I like broke down, like, you're the only one uh, uh, when I die. And there's not... And and it's just me in that ground... I want you next to me in that ground and uh like all kinds of shit. Um
1: We've all done that, dude. I've I mean I've never said it like so fucking eloquently. I'm usually like girl, I fucking love, I love you I'm a crier dude. When I used to drink, I'm a fucking crier dude. I used to I could be at, we could be at, we could be at a fucking tailgate of a of like a, of a football game. And I'm just like, <laughs> just start crying. One
2: time I got drunk. One time I got real drunk and I was like not talking. And the girl was like, are you all right? Do you, like, you're not talking. And I was just looking at her. I was like, I just want to look at you.
1: That's actually pretty, that's pretty slick, dude. That's, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. what What was her reaction? Was she like, Okay. Or is she like, Alright, well let me show you the goods and then started like showing you a little leg or something? Yeah, she got me some water and then she let me keep looking at her. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, Oh I was like, You she's like, You're not looking too good. Do you fall in love quickly?
2: Kind of, yeah. I feel like I I fall in love once a week.
1: Really? Yeah. I miss that feeling, man. I miss like, you know, when you hear songs like Marie
2: Not with people per se.
1: Just with what you're saying, you just fall in a- love any, with anything. It could anything. be a song, it could be a movie, yeah. a feeling.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I used to fall in love a lot when I was younger. I remember, like, I would have, like, I was talking about when I drank, or even, you know, my 20s, not even, maybe early 30s too, a little bit, but it was like I used to take breakups hard. And now it's just, now it's like, all right. Dude, there was, I was da- there was a girl I was dating that was a multi-multi millionaire songwriter. Uh, in December, we dated for a few months, and that, and then it, yeah, it was, I was I was dating Carly Simon. Wait, for real? You dropped that name? No, oh. no, God, no, no, that's not. <laughs> no, not I was about to say
4: Carly, Carly.
1: <laughs> no, I. Uh, it was just this. It was this girl, and she was great. And then it just didn't work out. And I, I had two days of feeling down on myself, and then I was just like, "Wow, I feel back to normal." I just think that's. I think you you understand love and you understand the emotions the older you get. Now, keep in mind I was a 39-year-old man, well 40 at that point. So, I'd been through it, you know? Like like you said, like I used to fall in love hard, a lot. Now it's like it, now it's like I can walk into it and be like, "All right, let me get to know this chick. Let me find out if it's cool and then I'll put the emotions into it." And the fucked up part was I I was like four dates, then I put the emotions in and then she was like, I don't know if I want to have a boyfriend right now because I'm still kind of not over my ex. And I was like, God. Damn. Damn it. You, I was like, I already saw us vacationing in Ibiza. Like, I literally saw us just me driving your Tesla. Damn. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. We'll get there, dude. I'll fall in love. All right, so- Uh, The next one, Mr. President, have pity on the working man. So this was written a few years earlier as a plea to the soon-to-be-disgraced President Richard Nixon that also slyly lists some of his transgressions and limitations. But as you said on the text when I booked you on this, this hits harder today. Uh, Peter, play a little bit.
4: Maybe you're cheating. Maybe you're lying. Lost your mind. Maybe only about yourself. Too late to run, too late to cry now. Time maybe you've
1: cheated, maybe you've lied, maybe mind. you have lost your mind, maybe you're only thinking about yourself. Too late to run, too late to cry now. I mean this is this is exactly what we are dealing with right fucking now all current i mean it literally could have been like you lost the election stop teasing my erection see that exit sign that is your direction Uh, mr president please leave the white house
2: i know it may sound funny but people everywhere are running out of money we just can't make it by ourselves. It's like everyone getting stimulus checks now, everyone saying, you know, uh, maybe you're, you know, thinking about yourself saying how, you know, selfish this last presidency was, is like, it's very prescient, you know? He's like, I think some of the best music or just art in general is so, feels like out of place in time. It's kind of ahead of its time a little bit, and people don't understand it until there's like series of events, you know, or like, it's very cyclical that they're, and and timeless that the, of the pocket that this music exists in, because you could say this about almost every presidency, this is about Nixon, but, you know, it's also, it could be said the same thing about Bush, about Obama, especially Trump. So, you know, it's uh, people always out of money, people always seemingly uh, scratching and clawing under capitalism and the weight of it. And, you know, it's uh, having pity on the working man is also an interesting, just, uh, you know, perspective or something. I think Randy has embedded in this southerner's kind of story and insider's thing, because He's not saying particularly any other color man except the white man. When he says man, because man is typically associated with white man, is something that a lot of white people feel and have, poor whites have felt um, and often feel forgotten. And I think um, that is who, while this guy is pleading with the president, those same people he's addressing or representing here actually voted for Trump and are voting against their interests. And I think that's another interesting side of that. And it just it just, you know, there's so many layers and that I and, and and contradictions and complexities which are, you know, important to a character, but also the character arc seemingly of the the album and the the obstacles that kind of push it and you know take us out on the other side and create a real picture of somebody who cares deeply about the South and wants to bring you in and be like a warm blanket for the shit, you know, and not just, you know,
1: I I mean, exactly what you just said is, is just, is so spot on, man. You know, we, we act like, or remember that statement that they said during, uh, the age of enlightenment that history is progressive, and that we learn. We we will never repeat the mistakes that we made in the past because human beings are grow and we learn. And it's like, nah, dude, we're doing the same exact shit. So that's why this song could be relevant to Nixon, and it could be relevant to every president that's come become before or after. It's it's like this is this is literally has the finger on the pulse of the relationship between one of the sides of of the people that are being represented by the president. Because like you said that this this could have been for Obama if if you're a Republican and and vice versa um, for for Bush. So it's the second I read this and with everything that's going on in the world right now with with Trump not you know, giving up the reins, maybe even possibly starting a coup. Um, I wanted to ask you, how do you think all that's going on right now will change our work in comedy and basically art in general?
2: Not sure. I I know Trump hasn't been good for late night, but I never liked late night. So I was fine with that. As it pertains to art and, or whatever comedy stands to be kind of seen, but as time goes along, I think, stand-up needs to be thought of in a much more creative way you know before this or you know some years ago i did like independent plays and stuff and i feel like the comedy special is going to be a mix of that like one man showy play aspects and and really is something that you can connect to that isn't just uh needing either of an audience or thinks of the form in a different like uh entirely. I just feel like comedy obviously will never be the same. Not for like 15 years at least and touring, which I I mean I never did to begin with. Um but I you know I still like doing stand up obviously and miss it um like it'll just never be the same. Uh I don't know. I think we just or kind of being more creative with the ways that we present our our ideas as a whole and the comedy special needs to be like rethought not just like standing up and telling jokes but and not also just even doing zoom but really connecting with the like the best way you see yourself doing something that isn't just a standard like, mic in a stage, whether that be a one-man show kind of play deal, like I'm thinking about doing, or if you wanted to do a play, or put on put that on, or go into some kind of music, you know, foray, it just requires just thinking about it in a different way. Uh, I don't know if that I feel didn't feel like a great answer, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I was it was a fantastic answer because I completely see what you're saying. Um, unfortunately, we're about to have a civil war, and uh, there won't be stand-up comedy <laughs> anymore because uh, we're going to be joining tribes and uh, fighting for food and living in, uh, you know, and fighting in thunder domes.
0: are like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable
1: ABC pants at lululemon.com. You got to keep this in mind, dude. Uh Mad Max took place in 2025, which means Road Warrior was 2030, which means like, you know, Fury Road was like 2032. You know. Yeah. I could see it happen, could be dude. moving towards that. How, how how long do you think you could survive in the apocalypse? No more government. Government's fallen. I don't know. Um, Weeks, months, years,
2: days. I don't know. I'm kind of not afraid to die. So if I die quick, I'd be fine. Maybe a day. <laughs> Maybe a couple of years. I don't know. I don't. It's. Uh,
1: you ready to? You ready to kill your brother for antibiotics? No. Lop off an arm for 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 squirrel meat?
2: No, my brother needs those needs them more than I do. He's yeah, he's a he's got thyroid stuff and he's very he's very skinny. I would not have to lop off his arm. He's he's very easy to beat. That's my older brother. My younger brother, he's he's kind of big. I have to put him down.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like he got meat on them bones. All right. No, weird segue, but uh guilty. Oh, yes. You're guilty. Mm-hmm. So this is another reflective drinking song, but this time the character lives in self-pitying victimhood. Uh, this is a perfect song. Also, uh, peep the arrangement in the background. Peter. You know,
4: you know how it is with me, baby. You know, you know I just can't stand myself.
2: Takes a whole lot of medicine for me to pretend that I'm somebody else.
1: Woo! Uh, so the only what I wrote after after listening to this, this song is honest as fuck. Uh, he knows he shouldn't be drinking, but he's so low that this is all he has. And he is probably pissing off the girl he hangs with because he even apologized for asking to come over, which is, this is all the shit that, this is my like late 20s. This is when I was talking about me being a crier. That's what the fuck was up right there. That was me. Um, Thoughts on this song?
2: It's it's a troublesome song. It it speaks to a lot of you know self-hatred, I think, men have that kind of causes them to drink and then depresses them further and it's kind of like a weird it's kind of like that when he's described he's got some whiskey from the barman got some cocaine from a friend it it kind of is a you know a snowball effect no pun intended of him getting it's like the end of the episode of seinfeld when kramer like somehow gets like a like a pimp coat and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. like a, a cane <laughs> and then uh there's a prostitute in his car and he looks like he's about to like go upside ahead and then the cops come and there's no way for him to say he's not a pimp it's like it's all of those things leading to disaster you know yeah he's like he's like
1: bitch be cool, <laughs> yeah.
2: be, cool girl. be cool be cool <laughs> 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 bitch be cool yeah <laughs> um, that's yeah that that kind of image reminded me of that but it's also like um Yeah, the the self-pity is real, that, you know, drinking always exacerbates, and you feel remorseful, you feel even worse, not for how, you know, you could potentially treat this woman, but ultimately for having to drag yourself to a woman while you're feeling bad and you're drunk or you're fucked up. It's like you are seeing how it's eating, something can just eat at you, it's like, how come I never do what I'm supposed to do? How come nothing that I try to do ever turns out right? You know, and I'm I'm guilty, baby. I'm guilty. I'll be guilty all the rest of my life. And it's, uh, it's not like the kind of the level of apology. You're just like, this is going to excuse everything. But you're just like, I am guilty. I don't know what else to tell you. Like, I know what I am. And I feel terrible about myself. And, uh, (laughs) you know, that last part, the part you played is the realest, you know. Oh, it's the best. I just can't stand myself. It takes a whole lot of medicine for me to pretend that I'm somebody else. I thought about so much of stand-up when I thought that. Not just the drinking being the medicine, but the attention-seeking. All of the sets you do that you need to fill the void is like, the courage you kind of seemingly need to do it. It's like all the energy He's like, it takes a a whole lot of medicine for me to pretend that I'm somebody else is like that persona you build up to get on stage to, to, you know, corral that stage presence takes so much. And it's pretending you get off stage and you're just like, man, I'm just, you know, I'm telling you an idea of the truth. Then you get off stage and you feel like you were living a lie just on there sometimes. Uh, Or at least sometimes it feels like that because you think that you're a strong person, but you know a part of you, if if you've done stand up a lot, especially that you are beholden to it, a part of you, especially during um, the coronavirus, you're like, fuck, damn, I need that dopamine hit of fucking attention. And you just like, no, I'm a strong person, man. I'm like, I don't need to stand up, I'm a, and then you get off, you don't have it for two weeks. So you're like, zoom, let's do it. <laughs> zoom comedy, tap, <laughs> yeah, tap, 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 tap. Like you're like, yeah. you know, um, and yeah, you, it takes a whole lot of medicine for you to pretend that you're somebody else to build, build up the courage and then to come down off the high and then having to replace it with shit to get the same fucking chemicals in your fucking brain, you know.
1: Yeah, man. That's there's so many comedians. That that's why they they do coke after they're set, and that's why they do drugs. It's because they're they're trying to mask who they really are, and then just keep that high going. That was perfectly said, dude. Uh, perfect. All right, Louisiana, nineteen twenty-seven. All right, so these next three songs veer away from Johnny Cutler's story, but still capture the spirit of the Deep South while digging into its history. So while doing some research for this album, Randy read a book about the Great Mississippi Flood of 1927, which killed at least 200 people, left 700,000 without homes, and destroyed the previously thriving cotton industry for years. Besides the tragedy itself, this song captures the feeling shared by those affected that the Northerners, including President Calvin Coolidge, were generally apathetic to their plight. I feel like that's perfectly summed up in this part here. Peter?
4: President Coolidge came down to the railroad train And a fat man with a notepad in his hand I mean
1: that's that's just, that's fantastic. How, how does this how does this song make you feel?
2: I like well outside of well just thinking about uh, how it reflects a little bit to rednecks. It's a different. It's showing them in a much more humble and kind of humiliated state. Um, You know, he said the N-word there. He's saying crackers here. And you're more empathetic towards these poor Louisianians um, that he's describing. The little fat man also is Herbert Hoover, um, who led Coolidge's response. But, yeah, it makes me feel like uh, it's just part, kind of in the, same vein we were describing like how sickly like the other song was Mr. President. It's the same here with the flood, right, because the levees constantly break in Louisiana. We saw it not too long ago with Hurricane Katrina. I went down to uh the lower ninth ward before I was like leading a um this this kids' group teenage group when I was like in my early twenties, and they were a volunteer group, and the levees were still very, very weak. Uh and yeah, it just is a reminder of that uh kind of pain of that poor people in Louisiana have white, black, just everyone. And just that this is written from the perspective of a survivor of the of the flood is uh even sadder, uh and even shows the writing prowess, I think, of, of Randy.
1: Of oh, Randy, yeah. You know, it's funny is we had uh, Harry Shearer on the podcast who lives in Louisiana, and, and he said, you know, the, the spirit, regardless of the tragedies that have beset Louisiana and New Orleans, there's there's a, a love for life, and the, and the people that live there, it's like, yes, it's like they're, they're downtrodden, they've been beaten, and they've been, you know, like, you know, we know what happened with Katrina and, and the survivors of that, but they had to regroup, but it's like they regroup and they and they push forward, and they still keep they keep a very positive like uh you know like frame of mind as best as they can big
2: time, big time. I was actually staying on the lower ninth ward, and there was like the black Indians that uh you know are there during Mardi Gras. they were across the street from me in this volunteer group that i uh was with um like we helped put together the the black Indians um you know which is like a tribute to the Native Americans that helped hide and heal uh slaves during slavery they were like dancing in the streets of Tremé and it was it was beautiful yeah there's a real resiliency there in that city in that state
1: yeah what event changed the direction of your life
2: what event changed the direction of my life maybe when i started i don't want to say started doing comedy I'll just say when my grandfather died, I saw my grandfather die in front of me when I was 10. I think that it kept me to myself like I'm a little bit introverted. I can be extroverted, but I think that it kept me it kept me observant and it kept me a little bit removed in a in a kind of good way, I don't know. I think that you know there's a overemphasis sometimes on trauma in people's lives and comedians and Sometimes it feels kind of hogwash and, you know, boring, but I think that it has some credence in terms of shaping obviously who we are. I didn't, I think I was more drawn to like, just being acceptable with being uncomfortable and being okay, making other people uncomfortable. I think that it changed me and made me uh, sometimes a bit morbid, other times kind of like brooding because it was so devastating. Um, But yeah, I think that ultimately led me to going to therapy very early, seeing, seeing somebody die in front of me, and just being like, okay, well, no matter how hard my life gets, I don't think anything will be as painful as that. And it helps me deal with some things to remember that. And to keep that in mind and not always to think that I have to entertain and not always to think that I have to shroud my feelings with a a punchline as so eloquently described by Chappelle on Saturday. It's really, really much, very much how I feel at times, you know, not to be like, I'm such a f- fucking... Fucking bleeding heart. Fucking artist. Oh, fuck. My life is just death and fuck. But, but yeah, kind of.
1: <laughs> I, I, I totally understand what, you, what you're dealing with. Um, I mean, I lost my best friend. He died in a car accident with me, you know, and it's, you could, you could let it destroy you. You got to work through it. So the therapy, of course, is, is. It's so important, but it's like, it's all perspective. It's just like, if you, you should have, you probably have a deeper appreciation for how precious life is, you know? And it, cause it's like, that's the shock right there to tell you like, oh shit, man, this isn't going to last forever. I need to enjoy this. And, and then also, like you said, the morbid part too, because that'll bring that shit in as well. Death, just that goes hand in hand. But yeah, man, thank you for telling me that. I appreciate it, dude. Um, all right. Every man, a king. So this was the campaign song co-written by and for Huey, the Kingfish Long, the Depression-era left-wing populist, Democratic governor of Louisiana from 28 to 32, and then Louisiana's Democratic center from 1932 until his assassination in 1935. Uh, That's exactly what I thought when I heard this. So uh, play the intro. So even before I read the lyrics, I was like, this sounds like a 1920s political fight song. This is like, and I was right. I was 100% right about that. Which is cool to have him put this on the record. You know, like, uh, like how do you feel that this song blends with everything else on the album? Being that this, he didn't write this.
2: Oh, I love it. I think, you know, it's very ragtime-esque. Um, I just thought that this song was... Um, it like it did blend, but it was so short that you miss it. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't even know that it's not part of the other song.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So yeah, so no. Keep it gives going, greater. Going, so no, I no.
2: You could, I mean, it gives greater context to the next song because these three songs, like you said, are part of the same story.
1: Yeah. So this works as an intro to the next song, which is actually Kingfish, and this is sung like a campaign speech by Huey Long to prospective voters. Uh, this one kind of reminds me of something We already have heard though uh, So Peter, play
4: 123
1: This kind of, to me, sounds like rednecks A little, but just without using the N-word Do you know what I mean? It's Maybe it's not as like it's not it's not the same uh, like power of the song where it's like upbeat and stuff, but it's just the same cadence. So that's exactly what I heard when I heard this.
2: Yeah. I mean, it feels a little bit like a, a dog whistle because, you know, it, they are not when they say friend of the working man, you know, they're only appealing to white people. It's uh, it's not as bad as uh, stand back and stand by, but it's still, you know, very uh, divisive.
1: So this was influenced by another book Randy read. And in fact, the reaction to the Great Mississippi Flood helped Kingfish get elected a year later. Uh, also, uh, Randy spent half of his childhood living in New Orleans where Long was almost mythical Even though Long helped Franklin Delano Roosevelt get elected, he broke with him over the New Deal in favor of his own populist and socialist program called Share Our Wealth. Long became a champion of the rural poor against big business and helped create much of Louisiana's infrastructure during his time in office. Great song, man. All right, Naked Man. So this is a funny song. So these type of bizarre character studies were pretty standard Newman subject matter, but Randy claims that this is based on a true story. A friend of his told him about a naked man who snatched a lady's purse and ran, and when the police caught him, he blamed it on another naked man. His explanation for being naked was that he was having an affair with his friend's wife, and when that friend came home, he took off down the fire, escaped, he was still convicted this song uh, kind of reminds me uh, a little bit of uh, some obla di obladashet uh, so here let's show the comparison uh, peter play 53 seconds in on this song Now uh, play some of the Beatles' "Obladi oh, oh, da mm. Thoughts on this? Mm. Yeah, the arrangement is similar. For us. it's that bass line that. I love that. That's the shit. That, as soon as I heard that, yeah, I love it too. Uh, so did, uh, so did Randy Newman. That's why I took it from the Beatles, psych. All right. (laughs) But how do you feel about the song though, in general?
2: I like the song. It's, uh, you can, he's very good at like painting a picture line by line and it just being like a narrative, like tying a narrative around something and you being able to like see it like in the same way, you know, you could listen to Nas describe something. It's very poetical. And then he adds something seemingly like random, like shuffling uptown against the wind. She had started to cry, wiped a tear from her eye and looked back to see where she had been. You know, like you just, is so much in the shadows of that, where you're like, All right, I have to read between the lines because is she crying because she's realizing that she's being followed or is she, uptown like, is she crying because there's wind you know what I mean like what is 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 it? Is she's looking back to see where she had been is it or is it wind from you know that's the double meaning and the shit that I'm just like tickles tickles your mind
1: yeah 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 I just love the story behind this I think that I think it's just such a funny like subject matter to write a, a song about but it's fucking phenomenal
2: which also there's a line which I guess I didn't realize before because he says it so casually that he says, uh, he said they found out about my sister and kicked me out the Navy. So the naked man is implying basically is off genius that he's has an incestuous relationship with his wife while he was in the Navy. And that's what led him to be discharged into a life of vagrancy and petty crimes. He lives in the songs present day. So the the naked man, uh, sometimes when you get songs where it's just seemingly absurd and you're just like, all right, what's going on here? You're just like, well, this crazy person is crazy for crazy sake. But I love the background. Like they found out about my sister. That's all you need to know. Like what?
1: <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah. so
2: fucking crazy. <laughs> like
1: <laughs> it's so crazy. All right, wedding in Cherokee County. Uh, so it's kind of difficult to determine whether Randy is sympathetic or condescending in describing the impending wedding of a backwoods groom who has several misgivings about his troubled, soon to be bride and his ability to perform his husbandly duties on their honeymoon night. Uh, so that's about his dick. Uh, this line I'm about to play had me fucking lulzing, uh, Peter. Papa was a
2: midget. Her mama mama was, was a whore. Granddad, granddad was a newsboy news 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 till news he was for. 84. <laughs> the old old bastard bastard he was
4: Man, don't you think I know she <laughs>
1: What an interesting wedding party, dude. It's like, like alright, let's seat the midget at table six. Uh whore. Put put her over there with your cousin. You know what I mean? Rolling Stone critic Greel Marcus uh, disgustedly thought that Randy was goofing on certain Southerners solely to entertain the more elitist highbrow audiences. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think he was trying to do? Well,
2: I mean, that's kind of a joke in and of itself because it's just like, well, if you don't get it, maybe you can't read. No. Um... Wait, who
1: said that? A uh, rock critic for Rolling Stone magazine.
2: Oh no, I don't think that was it. I mean, I think he's showing both sides. He's showing humanity, and he's showing that people are actual like freaks, you know, are not not unlike the movie, the nineteen thirty-two movie, Freaks. It's like uh, I love the like the title characters are like at a table. There's this girl who seemingly like the whole movie is acted like she's holier than now. She's better than like whatever this group of like circus freaks. And then she has, you know, it's 1932. So they don't think about like, they're, they're not thinking about like disabilities or teasing someone is wrong, but something, something happens to her and she becomes like, a freak, basically, and they go, they're all, like, sitting down to eat all of these midgets and whores and all these people that Randy is describing, and they go, gobble, gobble, we accept her, we accept her, one of us, one of us, and that's kind of what this shit reminds me of, because, and, and that's what I think the Rolling Stone critic maybe doesn't realize, like, we're all fucking freaks, that's, I think kind of what randy is trying to engender a little bit and it's just that one little thing either could happen to you whether physical mental spiritual whatever and you're right at the table with all them fucking freaks and they're all going gobble gobble we accept her we accept her one of us one of us that's what it feels like all the time and people that kind of run from being a fucking freak find themselves at the table with a bunch of freaks saying gobble gobble
1: yeah dude Also, uh, I, I forgot to even mention this line, uh, maybe line of the song next to the one that we played. She will laugh at my mighty sword. (laughs) I I fucking love that. All right. Back on my feet again. So this is a story within a story. Uh, we have the unreliable boasting elitist narrator who is in some kind of asylum or hospital pleading with his doctor or therapist to arrange his release. And then it gets even zanier, uh, then we have the story he tells of his dancer sister falling in love with a supposedly poor black man who turns out to be a wealthy white man in makeup who was just testing her to see if she really loved him for who he was. Uh, who gives a fuck about how crazy the story is? Because the chorus's little run uh, that they do is just phenomenal. Peter? Give me
4: back all my feet.
1: I think what's so great about Randy, man, is just like you, it's lyrics sometimes override the music that's playing in the background and that's overlaid over, and and it's just when you really study him as a musician, uh, and like you said, like as a as a not a I'm trying to think of the words, I'm fucking them up, uh, as a as a songwriter. It's just he is phenomenal, and and it's like as I listen to this, this is one of the popular songs on the album. If this was, if there were singles, this could definitely be one of them. But it's just fantastic. It just solidifies how great musically Randy Newman really is, in my opinion. Thoughts on the song?
2: Well, I like how weird it is. You know, it's kind of um, a little bit like <laughs> it's actually a term. You can't say it, but it's called nigger fishing. <laughs> basically, it's like common day nigger, or like old, I guess back then it was like first nigger fishing. So basically, like today, like girls, there have been white girls who dress up and like, they're like, I'm Hispanic or I'm black. And it's just like they have filler and all this shit. And then you fucking they're like dating fucking black people or some dumb shit. Or even anybody, just confusing them into thinking they're white. So this is like the OG kind of like, you know, testing people to be like, all right, who who are you really on the inside? So it's like, all right, you love me for me. <laughs> if you thought I was black. I would have loved the different to break the fourth wall if she was just like, All right, so you wanted to test me and see if I love you. Yeah, I love the fucking black guy. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care how much money you have. I know it's wrong, but I would love you more if you stayed rich and just put the black face back on. Sounds wrong, but still, she still did fall in love technically with a black man. So
1: with a black dude, yeah. Um, I I love this song, man. I uh, I it's. It's just, this is like, this is around the point in the record where I was just like, okay, I, I am now a full-on fan of Randy Newman from this point on. And then to end the record with Roland. Gonna be rolling, rolling, rolling. What if that's what he ended it with? He's like, oh, Limb Biscuit covered this? I think this is the only way to wrap this album up, and it's a return to the now-aging good old boy Johnny Cutler, escaping his troubles by drinking at home after work, blissfully unaware or unconcerned about anything but his simple life. The, I, I want to play the the utmost end of the record, uh, Peter. Gone no Ooh, just that little orchestrated like sting at the end. It's so great. All right thoughts on this? No, oh, I love it. I think
2: uh I've smoked to this song. It feels weird. I'm like rolling. while listening to Roland. but uh no, I like it. It's um I like the ink on a worry no more kind of thing. It's
1: Yeah, it, it's, it leaves you on like a like a positive like you know, mantra just to like take with you from this. It's just like through all the bullshit we've just been through in the south and and you know and i know this is still from that same character who hasn't had it as hard as as like the blacks in in the south but it's just it's you know like i said one, one more time it's it's he's aloof he's aloof to what's going on and maybe while while there's all this you know racial strife going on for everybody else he's just like yeah man i'm just a good old boy right what you else know, can I do? Life's gonna keep going on for me.
2: I'm gonna keep rolling. Um, he's look, he's losing. He's kind of not understanding just how like anachronistic he is a little bit. Like just uh, out of space in time. Like he doesn't know how to track it because every day is the same. He's he's just telling you what he does day after day after day after day. And it, it's sad. And you realize how much sadder his existence is. And you don't you almost wanna be like, you know, you have to take a double take, no matter who you're kind of talking to or like thinking about, like that you don't project your ideas of who they are on that that you have about them onto them. And I think I think this is somebody who's dealt with the pressure of that and there's also Kind of acting a little bit like the person everyone thinks they are. But but being okay that he is some of those things and isn't some of those things that people think about.
1: Yeah, I I just think I just think this is such a beautiful button on this record. Uh, like I said, that changed my complete opinion about who Randy Newman was. And I'm I am so fucking glad that this record came up right now because it was it was sandwiched between LCD sound system sound of silver and fucking kala by MIA which are both like two bangers and then you have like you have Randy Newman just fucking dropping fucking dimes on us. All right, you want to do a couple facts and get out of here? Oh, yes, who me? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah,
2: I want to do some facts. Do I want to do your beard with, I wanted with to do three my, watches on. I wanted to do my Randy Newman joke.
1: Oh, hey, do it, go ahead. Now go, please.
2: Um, so uh I don't know if you guys could tell, but I'm a big fan of Randy Newman. Yeah, actually, the other day, a friend of mine called me Randy Nubian, and I feel like it's the first time anyone's ever understood me. Uh, Randy Randy Newman is great. He's got a great satirical song called Sail Away. It's written from the perspective of a slave trader who's trying to convince prospective slaves to come to America. It's great. He it goes up. In America, you get foodies will have to run through the jungle and stuff oh, up your feet. Be as happy as a monkey in a monkey tree. Me. So climb a bold little walk, sail away with me. Sail away. Sail water. away. We will cross the mighty ocean in the Charleston Bay. And then he wrote the Toy Story soundtrack. <laughs> Who has that kind of range? Yeah, I love Randy Newman. May he rest in peace. <laughs> he's still alive. I just hope he's resting well. <laughs> Wait, you but
1: you met him though, right? I did. Yeah.
2: Tell me about that. <laughs> I met him at a Hollywood Bowl. I have my ways, and I went. I was like, It was great. I saw Danny DeVito was back there. He was so sweet, uh, and of course, they're friends. You know, and I saw him, and I was like, "Randy, can I have a picture, please?" I could tell he was, you know. He'd done a long show um, and he was, he was very kind, took a picture, wasn't trying to bother him, just wanted a sweet picture and he was very nice. He's on my Hinge profile. I have like a whole arc that is on my Hinge profile where basically in the first one, I'm just like, uh, we'll get along if you believe Randy Newman is better than Beyonce. Then the next one's like, Randy Newman is the best. Uh, I love Randy Newman. And then you scroll down some more; it's another Randy Newman thing. And then the last picture you see is the picture of me and Randy Newman.
1: <laughs> Fire, dude! All right, let's do a couple. Let's do a couple facts and get you out of here. All hey, right. Yeah. In the Rolling Stone review for this album, writer Stephen Davis reflected on the song's quirky darkness by referring to Randy as deeply troubled. How do you feel about that? Do you think he is?
2: Yeah. And um no one no one that isn't deeply troubled could make music as good as that. So yeah. yeah.
1: No, I completely agree. Completely agree. I I I talk about this all the time on the podcast. The best music, you know, comes out of England because of the weather. Seattle, great music because of the weather. You know, some of the greatest artists that are on this list have have had drug problems and depression and anxiety and everything and it's like even greatest comics, you know, we for the most part we 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 have, we might have a solid foundation, but we had to build that over some real rocky shit. Randy recently released a song called "Stay Away" mm-hmm. to support people during the coronavirus pandemic. The song can be downloaded, and proceeds go to the Ellis Marsalis Center to to support undeserved children in New Orleans Ninth District. Hell yeah, I fucking fucking love you, Randy. Go go go. That song is so Rand funny. dog. That song is hilarious. I gotta listen to it. You got me wanting to listen to way more. Like, I want to listen to the, the slave songs. I want to listen to the <laughs> World War II songs. I'm in. Right. I'm Rand. I'm all up in Randy Newman. Uh, watch people, watch like me become this huge Randy Newman fan, and people are like, yo, why you why you biting Jordan, dude? And I'm like, nah, man, we we, we connected get your, over this. It's your but. own thing. <laughs> all right, I got yeah. <laughs> I got Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart. That's my, (laughs) all right. Randy signed away the publishing rights for his first album at the time because he didn't know how popular his songs would become for other artists. It meant he didn't get any money from those covers. Now, I'm gonna, I'm going to flip it to the next fact because uh, Morty, my writer, told me this in the discussion prior to it and I can't believe this. So Randy's debut album, sold so poorly that his label, Warner Brothers Record, offered customers the options to trade it back for another record from their catalog. <laughs> so that's, that's saying that you bought the record, and if you hate it, you could, they'll give you any other record. They're like, we'll just give you something just to feel like you got your money's worth. What do you? How do you feel about that? Have you heard his first record? Rand, it's just Randy Newman, isn't it? Uh, I don't, dude. I'm. This is the only official record by Randy Newman I really know. I've heard of the other ones, and I've dipped in a little bit. Like I know there's that song Baltimore. I know that because it keeps playing on my Spotify. Uh, I want to ask you this question: Which failure of yours taught you the most?
2: I don't know. I think I've yet to really have it that's taught me the most but maybe up to this point probably getting going to so many high schools you know I went to five high schools not to any fault of my own all of them but you know the tenacity to finish school that I had to have from just failing at going to so many schools and trying to have to you know, learned how to make new friends and shit kind of carried on in my career. You know, I've had five writing jobs in three and a half years. I've had a writing job for every school that I went to. And I think being able to adapt has really taught, you know, that has taught me a lot, that adaptability.
1: No, I dig that, dude. I dig that. Dude, this, this was fantastic, brother. This was this was so great. Do you have anything you want to promote? What are the sh- what show you writing on right now?
2: Uh Marvelous Miss Maisel season four. Ooh,
1: and you got an Emmy?
2: I just finished. Not yet. Shits Creek took, took them all. Nothing yet. I wrote I wrote on season three and four of Atlanta too. Um so looking forward to just working on my own stuff at some point nothing to really plug just say that uh, you know listen to Randy Newman and Black Lives Matter that's it
1: fuck yeah dude hey Jordan um I mean this, dude. I I do these all the time. I had a fucking blast getting to know you and and just chilling with you and talking to you uh, about Randy because this is why we do the podcast so we can find we can find the real fans, man. And and you definitely were. So uh, I I love this. Thank you so much, brother. Hell yeah! Thank you for having me, dog. What I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Jordan Temple. Follow Jordan on Twitter at Joy Ploy. J-O-Y-P-L-O-Y and go to his website jordantemple.com Now This week, our new music pick is one of our very good friends here on the podcast, the one and only Chris Sullivan. Chris is one of the leads and This Is Us on NBC. He also did our podcast, number 416 Mule Variations by Tom Waits. And as well as being a great dude and an incredible actor, he also makes music under the name Joseph the Spouse. His new album titled Six Feet From Under, which was co-written and produced by another guest of ours we just had on a few weeks ago, my good buddy Taylor Goldsmith of the band Dawes. The album comes out this week on November 19th, and you are listening to Messiah Moon, one of the many great tracks from this album. You can follow Chris's band on Instagram at Joseph the Spouse, and you can find links to the album on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you're in a band and we're directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send us your song. 500 podcast at gmail.com. Put the album and artists that influence you in the subject line. Next week, it's MIA week as we go deep into our 2007 sophomore album, Kala. You got homework to do. Listen to the album. Stay fleecy. Doogle doogle.
3: This is only night sun The setting sun It has no tone The stars above you Are angels And that Is the Messiah moon And that is the missile balled up the tide washed upon him, and applauded his showing of grief? The morning brought resurrection, and the. Ball- i